What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of In the Crowd Podcast. My name is Tyler Vanderloo. Thanks so much for tuning in yet again, week in and week out. You guys are awesome. I really do appreciate it. Hey, if you're listening right now on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and hit that five-star rating for me and leave a review if you can. They all add up, trying to take this to the next level. And again, it's been a lot of fun having conversations with these people on the phone and and just kind of really digging deep into their sport or their job, try to give you guys that behind-the-scenes look at uh, at these guys it's been it's been a lot of fun on today's podcast we have jay billis from espn jay played for duke in 1982 to 1986 we talk a lot of duke basketball talk in the beginning of this episode as well as that duke carolina rivalry more so when he was playing uh, he actually tells a pretty cool story about playing north carolina and michael jordan hitting his head on the backboard and they actually had to stop the game to get medical personnel out there to make sure MJ was okay. I thought that was actually pretty, pretty sweet story. I asked him his favorite mid-major arena because we all can watch, you know, Kentucky and, you know, Duke, Carolina, Kansas, you know, wherever. We, we all know that those places are really cool. I want to know that mid-major arena that, you know, it maybe not might not be on TV all that much or, you know, obviously we don't really get to uh, go to all that often. Uh, anyway, so I asked him about that and his, uh, his answer, um, I'll tease it a little bit here, is a Midwestern school. Um, I'm, not, I'm not surprised by it at all or more so I should, I should say I'm not shocked by it at all if that kind of gave it away there. So sorry, that pun was horrible. Anyway, I asked him about his favorite all-time player he's watched in college. He's watched a lot of them now, guys. So, um, in in his answer, uh, you know, his, this player is still playing today, and in, in, in probably you know maybe top three players in the NBA right now. Jay's a golfer, so I asked him all about like you know what's your favorite golf course in the U.S. And his answer shocked me; it really did. Um, and he's played Augusta, and it, and it was not Augusta, so I don't want to tease it too much. And then finally. I asked him about how he almost played for the University of Iowa. Head coach Lute Olson was recruiting him, and uh, obviously Jay made the decision to go play for Mike Shashevsky at Duke. Um, but anyway, yeah, Iowa was right there in the running with Duke, and Lute Olson flew to his house in California. And uh, Jay actually tells a pretty sweet story about his official visit to Iowa and and what Lute did to try to reel him in. So anyway, enough of me rambling. My thanks to Jay Billis for coming on this week's episode. This was awesome. I had a lot of fun talking to Jay. ESPN's Jay Billis. Let's go. On the line now is ESPN college basketball analyst, former Duke Blue Devil great. And I think the thing that you're most famous for is your Twitter game is just on fire. This is Jay Billis. Thank you for coming on and talking with us today. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You wore number 21 at Duke. Are you the best player all time to wear 21 at Duke? Uh, I'm the best looking. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I wasn't the best player. Uh, I would probably be Trajan Langdon or uh, Chris Duhon or uh, Antonio Lang. One thing I know is the number 21 at Duke is the, high, it's the most productive number in Duke history because they've had a lot of really good players, but nobody's gotten the number retired yet. So uh, it's still, it's still churning out points, rebounds. And <laughs> well, you got a little clout there. Maybe you can make that, uh, you know, Jersey hanging the rafters at Cameron one day. 
Yeah, I de- well, I don't know. It depends on who comes up after. Matthew Hurt, I think, is wearing yeah. it now. But uh, but yeah, it's been it's been a good number for Duke, and uh, but a lot of a lot of the other numbers, you know, 32, 24, they've been retired. So the uh, you know, twenty one just keeps keeps putting up points and rebounds. I love it. Hey, real quick, when when you call games at Cameron Indoor Stadium, I want to know how crow's nest up there that you guys call the games at for ESPN sitting way up top up there. How how tiny is that? Uh, it's small. It's gotten better though. They did a nice upgrade of it uh, last year, I think. Um, so I don't know what'll happen with COVID. Whether they'll have to, you know, <laughs> make it even make it even smaller. But um, it, the the only problem is you can't really stand up uh, in it, or at least I can't. And so it's a little cramped that way. And you're looking down on the action, which is really unusual. Um, it's usually reserved for, you know, radio calls for places like that and at old arenas around the country. So it, it, while it's my favorite arena, uh, in the country, um, it's not my favorite arena to call a game from just because of the view. Is that pretty much the only place where you're, where you guys are put up top at? Yes. Um, everywhere else we're on the floor and, uh, and, you know, I, I mean, it's tradition that that, uh, you know, television and radio are up top at, at Duke um, that you, it used to be the case at, at older arenas. But uh, uh, I don't really know why they continue with it. Um, you know, you could certainly have a broadcast crew down down low. But look, it's you're lucky. You know, I always count myself as lucky to be anywhere at those games. So I, I don't complain about it. But but it, it's undeniable that it's not the best not the best place to do a game from. Where were you when the Dallas Mavericks drafted you in the fifth round, the 108th overall pick? Uh, I don't know. I even remember where I was. Um, I I was probably in Los Angeles at home uh, is my guess, but I don't even remember. Back in the day, I mean, like, how did, I mean, how did you get notified? Was it a phone call? I mean, from the GM or owner or something? Yeah, I got a phone call to say that that I'd been drafted, but uh, I don't remember. I don't remember the timing of it. I'm not even sure I was home when it, when I got the, when I got the call, I didn't talk to anyone. Then you get a, you, they, they send you a telegram back then. They sent you telegrams, uh, you know, kind of confirming it. But, uh, you know, I knew right after it happened, but um, you know, the, the draft was really different back then. It, you know, I think it was in a hotel somewhere. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they brought some of the top draft picks there, but that was about it. It's not the production it is now. And I don't remember if it, it was even televised like it is now. On college game day, I want to know like what goes on in between the show and then the game. So there's, you know, a lot of times, you know, you guys are the, you know, ESPN or ABC uh, night game and your show gets over at, you know, whatever noon, there's a lot of time in between there. Are you watching games? Are you prepping for the current game that you're going to be doing? What goes on in between that? Both. Yeah. Uh, So really what happens is I'll go to the practices of the two teams that are playing uh, that night. Cause usually college game day is always at a location where we have a, you know, our Saturday prime game and I, I do that game. So I will, uh, we'll go to practices and, uh, you know, spend the day that way. Uh, I do watch other games, um, but I'm not as locked in uh, on those games as I am on, on, you know, getting further prepared for uh, the Saturday night game. But the, the time goes by pretty quick. I mean, even though, um, you know, it seems like a long time, uh, you know, we'll get back to the game. I'm, I, if I go back to the hotel at all, and usually I do for a little while, um, uh, I'll come back to the game two hours before it starts. So, uh, you know, you might think it's a long time, but, it, but after you, after you do the morning show, two practices, you know, you sit and talk to some coaches or things like that. Uh, 
um, and then go back to the hotel and get changed, you're, you're, uh, you're ready to roll. You don't really probably go to a lot of the mid-major, I guess what I call mid-major, um, you know, arenas or stadiums or whatnot, but what's like the best mid-major atmosphere? And I'm not including like Gonzaga, and I don't think they're mid-major anymore. I think they're, I mean, as high major as you can get. But like, what's like that real random mid-major stadium you go like, you know what, that place was rocking. Uh, Wichita State would be would be up there, but you know they'd probably push back on the mid major thing too. Uh, but if you if you just went kind of non power five, I would say Wichita State would be would be right up there. Um, there are you know like I've been to some smaller arenas over the years, which are are just wonderful places. Um, you know I used to I used to really uh, enjoy going. I went to Creighton years ago when Kyle Korver was there. I haven't been back since. But um, that was awesome. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, and it was, you know, brand new back then. But uh, it was really cool to, to be Dana Altman was the coach and uh, just a really, really cool place. But I would say number one, it'd be Wichita State. Yeah, I'd probably have to agree with you there. Creighton is a really good game day atmosphere as well. Are you involved in deciding on where college game day goes like each week? Are you guys involved in that at all? Not really. Um, th- there are times when our bosses may ask us, you know, what do you think of this game or that game? Or, or um, you know, they might ask our opinion, but we, we're not, at least I'm not involved in, uh, in any of those decisions. And, you know, oftentimes uh, you wind up going where the best, you know, the highest rated game will be. And our bosses are really good at that stuff. Um, I mean, years ago, uh, there was a, it seemed like we should go to, I think it, I think both Arizona and Oregon were were ranked in the top five, and we thought, okay, well, we're going to be at Oregon for this one, and uh, and we wound up doing Kentucky, Florida, uh, both of whom were in the top twenty. But uh, when I when I kind of raised my eyebrows over it, saying that's you know that's doesn't seem right, we should be going to this other game. Uh, it was pointed out to me by one of my bosses that that game is not going to rate. This is going to be a, a really high rating. And uh, and we need to go where the rating is. And, and he was right. Um, uh, the the Kentucky Florida game dwarfed uh, Oregon, Arizona in the ratings, even though Oregon and Arizona were top five teams. That's pretty interesting uh, stuff right there. Jay, are you a golfer at all? You play, yeah. you play a lot of golf? Yeah, I play, the, play as often as I can. What's the best course you played? I would say Pine Valley is, is the best uh, I've played in New Jersey. It's, uh, it's unforgettable. Um, sure. It's not, I haven't played anywhere that I, I feel is a close second, honestly. Never played Augusta? I have, but, and, and Augusta is wow. magnificent, but, but Pine Valley is better. Wow, that's a, that's a hot take there. You're very active on Twitter, like I said earlier. What's the inspiration behind the I got to go to work tweets and stuff like that? I just love those. Yeah, it's just I enjoy uh, all kinds of music, but but I, I like rap music, and it just started, you know, ten years ago or so out of something that happened in Michigan State. Um, uh, so I, I started doing it, uh, you know, every morning, and just kind of took off and and became a thing. I love it. What uh, with the NBA bubble going on right now in Orlando, uh, and I know there's been a lot of you know talk and and whatnot. Is could college basketball go to a bubble, and if so? I mean, would it be conference by conference? I mean, how would that look? Well, the answer to could college basketball go to, go to bubble environments is yes, absolutely. But it would have to be there, there would be different bubble environments. So, you know, you could envision in uh, maybe in late November when school's out of session, 
uh, teams could go to different environments and you could, you could isolate um, a dozen teams or eight teams, whatever it be, and actually wind up playing like the Maui Invitational in Orlando or something. Um, you could certainly do regional bubbles for conference play in whatever conference you choose. Um, and I think we're going to see that. And then I think we're going to see bubble environments for the NCAA tournament. So the only problem with that is I don't think it's a problem, but I think there's going to be some reticence on the part of college presidents because they're going to go, wait a minute, you know, we've been saying these are amateur athletes and bubbles screams out professional. And I hope they don't, they don't get hung up on the optics of it because that ship has sailed already. These players have been pros for decades. Uh, So a bubble environment isn't going to, isn't going to, you know, tip this thing over it's it's pro already so i i think the most important thing is if you can play that way safely and uh, bring in some revenue and the players get to play and all that i think i think it's a good thing yeah no i totally agree what what's your favorite final four site of all the final four sites what's your best one or your or your favorite one that you'd like to go to there are two of them and it's uh san antonio and indianapolis but it's primarily because those cities are walkable uh, and they, you know, you can walk from hotel to restaurant, everything's centrally located. You start getting into some of these other cities where everything's spread out and you got to jump in a car every five minutes. It, it, it becomes problematic. So I, I like the, uh, you know, I like Indy and, uh, and San Antonio the best, and I'd prefer, you know, being out West more often, but, um, there aren't any, you know, now that the NCAA has gone to these 70,000 seat arenas, um, you know, you can't, it's not like in the old days where you could go to different places because there are only so many gigantic domes that you can have these in and the West coast just doesn't have very many of them. Yeah. And I've, I've myself have been to quite a few and, 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 and you spoke about, you know, kind of Phoenix in particular, where everything's kind of downtown Phoenix and you got to drive all the way out to Glendale to the stadium. And yeah, in Houston's like that too, you know? So, uh, you tweeted out this week, um, Lute Olson passed away and you tweeted out a, actually a pretty cool thing. I thought was actually pretty neat that did you almost play for the Hawkeyes? I did. Yeah. Um, Lute Olson was, uh, he recruited me really hard. I got to know him really well. And he's one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, so when he was at Iowa, he started recruiting me and he and his assistants, you know, Scott Thompson and Jim Rosborough, Kenny Burmeister, um, I was very close to going to Iowa and playing for him. Uh, but, you know, I made I made the right choice for me and, and playing for Coach K. But it sort of points up or underscores that, you know, you can only choose one coach. And, and that means you're turning down some great ones. And uh, I still have the letter that, that um, you know, Lute sent me. One, he sent me a, a nice letter after he came to visit me out in California. You know, and he apologized for staying so long. Uh uh, in my house, but it was, it was awesome. And then, uh, and then after I committed to Duke and, and called him, he sent me a really nice note afterwards. Uh, and then we, we, we remained friends, uh, uh, forever. Um, so every time I'd be in Tucson, I, I would make it a point to, to see him and, um, uh, especially at the games and spend time, you know, talking, uh, as much as we could, we played golf, uh, a couple times in Spokane, at a coaches versus cancer event and he's just a prince of a prince of a guy and and uh so sorry uh, for his passing but what what a what a gentleman and what a great great human being you mentioned something right there that probably doesn't happen a whole lot anymore is you know you committed to duke 
and the coach that wanted you to play for him at Iowa sent you a note and congratulated you. I don't think that stuff happens like that anymore, does it? I think it does. I mean, you know, it wasn't uh, – they, they get it. Like, the, the coaches understand. I think one of the things that, um, that even back then when I was 17, 18 years old, you know, I still had a long view about things, and, and certainly Coach Olson did that, uh, you know, just because this, you know, this player may not choose you doesn't mean you're not going to have, have a, a relationship with them in the future. And uh, so no matter what it is, when, when there's an ending, uh, it can be a new beginning to something else. And, and I always, I always uh, uh, respected Coach Olson for, you know, the way he handled, ev- not, not just that, but the way he handled everything. And um, so, you know, I, I, I wound up, the coaches I came down to were uh, Coach K, Lou Olson at Iowa, uh, Jim Beheim was at Syracuse, and then uh, a gentleman named Ted Owens uh, was at Kansas. And so, um, you know, I, I see Coach Owens every time, you know, every time I'm, I'm at a game, I seek him out. Uh, and, and, you know, we still communicate and I, I didn't play for him. You know, it's, it's, it's really kind of remarkable. And actually what's really remarkable, Jay, is Coach K is still at Duke and Beheim's still at Syracuse. Yeah. And, you know, for me to have, and, and I was choosing coaches, I wasn't really choosing a school. Uh, it's probably backwards to do it that way, but basketball was important to me at the time and still is. But when, uh, you know, when I, I got to the end of it, you're, you're looking at this going, geez, you know, the guys I was choosing among are all hall of famers, you know, like national champion, final four coach, uh, coaches. And, um, you know, I, I, I knew Bayheim more than I knew or Lute Olson and Bayheim more than I knew anybody else. Uh, and Coach K was the least successful at the time of the of the crew, but look what they went on to do. All of them, you know, went to Final Fours and won championships. Kind of amazing. Absolutely. I got to ask you this real quick. Did do you remember when you guys were playing at North Carolina? I don't even remember what year it was. You guys were in like a two-three zone sort of thing, and they threw a like a back screen, and Jordan went up to to dunk it. You followed him, but I think his head might have hit the backboard. Do you remember anything about that play? I don't remember that play, um, but I do remember his head hitting the backboard in a in a game at Duke one year. Uh, I don't remember it being in a, a zone, you know, sort of a zone defense deal. One, we didn't play a lot of zone back then, but doesn't yeah. mean we weren't in one for a little while. But uh, he, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he hit his head on the backboard in one of our games. They had to stop the game to get him medical attention, or at least get him looked at. Um, it was pretty impressive. I hadn't, I hadn't seen much of that. <laughs> is that? I mean, is Obviously, we know Jordan's pro career was uh, very well or very good. Who's the best college player that you either played against or have seen in person? Well, the the three best I played against were Jordan, um, Len Bias, who played at Maryland, yeah, and Ralph Sampson, who played at Virginia. Those were the three. I mean, I played against Patrick Ewing in high school, but not in college. Um, and then one of the best players I ever saw in college was Kevin Durant. Uh, when he was at Texas, um, just a different, you know, different cat, man, that dude was unbelievably good, but you know, there've been so many great players over the years. It's hard to pick them out, but, but sort of Durant was the most talented player that I think I I've seen in my time, you know, doing games and then, uh, but playing against them. I mean, you know, Samson bias and Jordan were on a, they were on a different level. 
I'll get you out of here on this question right here. I live in Sioux City, Iowa. When you think of the state of Iowa, what comes to mind? Uh, honestly, my time there, you know, so the times when I was being recruited by Iowa, I, I went on a visit there. I think it was in October of 1981. And, uh, you know, Coach Olson, his wife, Bobby, took me out to the Amanas to, for dinner. And, uh, you know, back then they played in the field house. And so I watched the team play pickup on a Saturday morning and then they played Purdue in football. And on Sunday morning, before I got on a plane to go home, Coach Olson showed me uh, his 10-year contract and the plans for the Carver-Hawkeye Arena. And he told me he was going to be there my whole four years. And then he went to Arizona the next year. But, <laughs> uh, but it, was, it was so cool, you know, being at his house and, and seeing all that stuff. And then it reminds me how old I am that, that I saw the plans for the Carver-Hawkeye Arena, and that was part of my recruiting. Well, first off, Thank you for coming on and taking time. Second off, you're not that old, okay? Uh, but uh, Carver Hawkeye is a special place. Um, we need to get you back in there to uh, to call a game. We're over at Hilton Coliseum uh, this year, even Creighton. Creighton's close by, too. So, again, thank you so much for taking time. I really do appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. See you later. My thanks to Jay Billis for coming on this week's episode. Some great stories, some great content that he provided for us. Again, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, hit that five-star rating and leave a review if you can. Again, man, I really do appreciate it. We'll see you guys next time.